The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the fifth Doctor story, Enlightenment. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Yakin. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How you, Dom? Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, while Twitter's still around to be retweeting. <laughs> and be sure to leave us comments <laughs> where, sorry, a little uh, little uh, current events commentary there. And leave us comments wherever you'll find us on social media. we love to hear from you. And don't worry, folks, we, wherever the, the next hot social media is, we'll be there. And it, I wouldn't write Twitter off so quickly. No. So Dom is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dom is being a little pessimistic from a personal point of view. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm annoyed with Twitter for having killed my third-party clients that uh, made it easier to use. But that's that's Secrets of Tech. You can listen to Secrets of Tech for me to hear all, of you, all about that. <laughs> all right, let's talk about enlightenment, though, because we need some enlightenment in our lives here. Jimmy, could you give us a recap of what happens in this episode? This week, the Fifth Doctor, Tegan, and Turlow are contacted by the White Guardian, who wants them to participate in a race. The race is being held by timeless beings known as Eternals. They have fashioned spaceships that look like ancient sailing vessels and abducted crews of the ships from different periods in Earth's history. Because the White Guardian's message was confused, the Doctor isn't initially sure what he's supposed to do, but he eventually determines that he needs to stop any of the Eternals from winning the race and claiming the prize, which is enlightenment or knowledge of everything in the history of the universe, apparently. If any of the Eternals win that prize, they will be able to create and destroy at will, and they're extremely capricious, so that would be bad. One of the Eternals, Captain Rack of a pirate buccaneer ship, is so determined to win that she's destroying the other ships. Mixed up in all of this is the Black Guardian, who still wants the Doctor dead, but Turlo finally renounces the Black Guardian. The way the Doctor stops any of the Eternals from winning is to throw Captain Rack overboard, he and Turlow then pilot the Buccaneer uh, to the finish line, winning the race themselves. When the two Guardians offer the Doctor enlightenment, he refuses, saying that he's not ready for it. The White Guardian then offers Turlow, who helped win the race, a partial share of enlightenment, which would make him fabulously rich. The Black Guardian insists that Turlow must turn over the Doctor to him, though, in order to claim the prize and Turlow refuses to do so, causing the Black Guardian to vanish in flame and agony. After which, the Doctor reveals that the enlightenment that Turlow got was the spiritual riches of making the choice. The end. So this is the uh, the third part of the Black Guardian trilogy, so-called. So we've had these three Fifth Doctor stories featuring Turlow and the Fifth Doctor and the Black Guardian. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, but we've we've actually recently started uh, seeing the White Guardian in the Fourth Doctor side. We had a story where we just started the what was it the Keys of Time? The key series? to time. the key to key to time. The season. key to time. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, and I have to say, the White Guardian looked a lot better in the Key to Time than he does mm-hmm. here. <laughs> it's it's the same actor, which I wouldn't have guessed, but it's it, oh, it, it is it, it, apparently so. But he's dressed so differently, and I'm sorry, the white bird on the head look just isn't as cool <laughs> as the goatee and the and the southern gentleman in the wicker chair. Yep. I'm I'm so cool talking to you, Doctor thing. Yeah, that, yes, exactly. The, yeah, there was both in the black guard. It also has like a a weird it's, like it's got a blackbird on his head, like a raven <laughs> yeah. or a crow or something. Yeah. It's a, yeah, I'm not sure what that's about. It's kind of a a weird look. Um, do we ever see the these guys again? This is their last appearance. The first appearance is in the Key to Time, and the last appearance is the Black Guardian trilogy. I was going to say they they at the end they were hinting that there might be a third one, yeah. third appearance planned, but we haven't seen that yet. Okay. Could still yeah, they, they could easily bring him back, and they are in big finish. Oh, right, right. Uh, not surprising. It, do we have any explanation for what they are? Are they just super powerful mega beings? They're just super powerful mega beings. Okay. Which are they? Are they related to the Eternals? Maybe, but they're clearly superior to the Eternals mm-hmm. here. You okay. know, like Captain Rack is uh, allying herself with the Black Guardian in order in order to gain power. And the Eternals, uh, the the two Guardians have the prize. They have enlightenment, and the Eternals are all seeking it. Okay. And so, and they banish them back to, you know, the White Guardian himself banishes, you know, Eternals back to the realms of eternity and things like that. So there, we, we have a clear pecking order where you've got the Guardians up at top, at least of what we've seen. Then the Eternals, then the Ephemerals with kind of the Doctor at the top of the Ephemerals. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so it was the Guardians who were giving the prize. So interesting. Yeah, they had had enlightenment they were giving away. Because I was wondering, like, so if it's so bad for the Eternals to win it, why are they giving it? But I guess... There apparently are rules that the Guardians are operating under. Um, the white guardian is explicit about this in talking to the doctor. He says that as long as I exist, um, the black guardian will exist even if he's defeated and, um, and, and we're going to be here until we're no longer needed. So they're performing some kind of function. And since they don't like each other and don't get along, they're apparently both going to disagree with aspects of the program they're forced to work within. Okay. Well, and, and it it seems like they're they're saying that the strength of each ebbs and flows. So in this one, the Black Guardian is much more stronger because the White Guardian needs the energy from the TARDIS just to be able to communicate right with the Doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, right. whereas the Black Guardian until can just end. appear, you know, yeah. until the end. But um, in the and it, you see the Black Guardian's holding the orb of of enlightenment, this little orb that's got the crystals in it of enlightenment. Uh, so. Maybe it was because he's the stronger one at that point. He's the one who kind of set up these rules in the White Guardian because he's he's not strong enough to fight against him. Right. Had to go along with it. That's okay. that's kind of at least what they seem to imply to me in this one. And it's kind of like a duality. The good and evil are equal mm-hmm. duality. That sort of worldview idea. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like the force. <laughs> <laughs> right. The emperor. Yes. Uh, by the way, I'd note a couple of similarities of this story to um, to some other stories. Uh, this is at least conceptually similar to the war games in that you have these mm. 
super powerful beings who mm-hmm. have been kidnapping people from Earth's history and pitting them in a competition against each other. Yep. Only it's a race instead of a war, and it's Eternals instead of invading aliens who are technologically advanced. But it's the same in principle. Advanced beings kidnap people from Earth's history and use them to compete. It's also similar to Voyage of the Damned, where we have the, instead of these other historical ships, we have specifically the Titanic in space. And so you have the same kind of fusion of the aesthetic of an old-time wind power ship mm-hmm. with a spaceship. Yeah. Um, and and they've done similar things with, with other things, like they Mummy on the Orient Express, they do uh, mm-hmm. space trains instead of space sailing ships. But it's this... but. Voyage of the Damned in particular, it's a space sailing ship, or at least a space ocean-going ship. Right, right. And we we have seen the Eternals return in uh, the 13th Doctor time. Uh, we we see at least one Eternal, right? Uh, wasn't that... Did we? Wasn't that the... Um, oh, I, I should have even looked it up. I guess I... Uh, I, I Gozer, the, Gozer the Gozerian, whatever that yeah. was. <laughs> Yeah, well, there was yeah, there was one where the Doctor is taking taken um, captive, and it was it was yeah. I think the second Doctor season. I, I know the one you're thinking of, and they yeah. talk about the the guy and his sister being gods or something. But yeah, I don't know if they called them Eternals. They may have. I guess we speculated at the time that they might be related to the Eternals. Um, where but, I'm familiar with the Eternals from is they're they're in Big Finish. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah. According to Wiki, uh, Tardis Wiki, it 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 thinks that the um, called "Can You Hear Me" was the episode, mm-hmm. and they think that they were Eternals. So, mm-hmm. so may or may not be. That's that's interesting. So, by the way, one little thing they did, and I appreciate that they didn't call attention to this. I, I mentioned over in Secrets of Star Trek, where we recently looked at data lore, mm-hmm. how. Stupid it was for them to say that data doesn't use contractions. Yes, I think I think it was it was great that they don't have data use contractions. I would just not mention that because then it's going to attract attention to it. Number one, there's no rational basis for it. But number two, uh, unless you programmed him not to, right? But but secondly, your actors' flubs are all going to get picked up <laughs> if, yep. if 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 you say it. And so they should have just let it be a background thing that data doesn't use contractions and it would just create, make him a little eerie, you know, a little different than everybody else. Well, they do something similar in this story with the Eternals and they don't call attention to it, which, but apparently all of the actors playing the Eternals were given orders, do not blink. And so you won't see them, you won't see them blink on camera. Now they do look up and down and so forth and, their eye, their eyes will partially close as they do that, but they don't blink. And huh. and and in some scenes, that makes them look like they've got distant, weird eyes. And right. they don't they don't walk around with them riveted open, you know. Mm-hmm. But they but you won't catch at least they there may be flubs in there, but in the main, you will not see them blinking. Wow! And only, I didn't only thing that. Can- only thing they come close to calling that is when Doctor and Turlo first see uh, Mister mm-hmm. Mariner. Uh, Turlo mentioned, or they kind of talk about how they look almost like they're hypnotized. Yeah, right, right. Well, they're they're very well. At least the Edward, the ones on the Edwardian sailing ship, those are 
they're very emotionless, very flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Rack, on the other hand, and her Buccaneers, uh, they are pirates, so they're not flat emotionless. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's almost like they're play, they're, so not just almost like, they are play acting at, at being whatever their ship they're on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the stoic uh, Edwardian British captain, you know, that sort of thing. Over, they overplay that, whereas, you know, the over-the-top buccaneer. I mean, this is many, many years prior to Pirates of the Caribbean, but it's still yeah. kind of that sort of Jack Sparrow's mm-hmm. over-the-top pirate thing. Um, well, that's what they That's what they wanted. That's why they created the ships the way they did, is they wanted to basically LARP, you know, live-action role-play these right. characters, these posi- right. these positions. So, so um, one of the things that really stands out to me in these these three episode uh, stories so far, the Black Guardian stories, is how much Tegan clearly doesn't like Turlo. There is mm-hmm. clearly mm-hmm. a strong animosity between her and Turlo, and there's a strain between Tegan and the Doctor. Yeah, that's that's evident throughout. And this is something that Peter da- was obvious to Peter Davison, too. And apparently about the time of this story, he went to the producers and said, look, you built so much tension into these relationships. It is not clear to me why the doctor would want to travel with these people. And, and, right. and, and the producers said, OK, yeah, let's let's reorient this. And so Tegan and Turlow will become friendly after this. Oh, right? good. Um, the, they're, they're using, see, they, in order to justify Turlow, who is a traitor, you know, at least in principle, being with the doctor, the doctor needs to appear oblivious to, to the fact that Turlow is a, a traitor, but you want, you don't want complete obliviousness on the part of everyone. Mm-hmm. And so they have, they've written, uh, Tegan as somehow as picking up on Turlo is not trustworthy, right? And and reacting in a typical Tegan way to that, but she's meant to be kind of the audience foil picking up on the traitor, right? right. And it kind of makes the doctor seem oblivious, frankly. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's that's not a good look. Not as oblivious as Jodie Foster as Jodie Whittaker's doctor, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Well, and, and of course, when we in the previous episodes, we Tegan was almost always the one that would catch Turlow talking to the Black Guardian. Now she didn't realize it, but she's like, you know, did you hear voices or are you talking yeah. to yourself? Or you know, there'd be something right. where she would be right. You know, she'd be the one that Turlow. What's going on? She'd be the one right there. True, true. So, uh, it's an interesting aspect of these ephemeral, not the ephemeral, eternal sailing vessels in space. Is that like I said, the crew are all ephemerals, are all humans taken from different time periods appropriate to the ship, and that was an interesting aspect when they encounter the sailors mm-hmm. aboard the uh, the the Edwardian sailing vessel, and yeah, they they brought life and energy to the show, and they're <laughs> in like one episode, and and yeah. and then they're basically out. I mean, they you see them in backgrounds and stuff, but they're basically done. But they they're far more interesting as people, you know, yeah. and their relationships, and they've got comedy, and they've got you know arguments, and they're 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 a dynamic, interesting group, the Edwardian sailors. Mm-hmm. And then they leave after the first episode, and they're oh yes, they're all up on deck now, and so we never see them, right? And we're stuck with the boring officers, 
Right. Apparently, they put something in the grog rations that make Mm -hmm. them compliant and... And then the BBC doesn't pay the extras fees for the rest of the show, the this, this story. Well, and, and then they have the one guy, it was Jenkins, I think his name was, mm-hmm. that was the, uh, we had taken the, the teetotaler's oath. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that go, they bring that up in episode two and it goes nowhere because they're, they're implying that he's somehow different because he's not drinking the grog ration. And he's got a key to the rum locker, and he gives the key to Turlow, and and it and and it seems like they're building towards something, and nothing happens with that after right, he gives right. him the key. It's like we never get to we never get to see what's in the rum locker. We never we ne- we never the the whole thing with don't drink the rum never comes up again. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. And they even have uh, one of the Eternals, I think it was Mr. Mariner, get the key from Turlo because he knew he had it. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's it. And and the character who gave him the key vanishes. And the only other thing about not drinking the rum is when they're on the pirate ship, they're at a soiree, they're serving champagne to everybody, and, and the, the Captain Rack, the pirate captain, says to the doctor, does the wine not please you? And he says, oh, it pleases us very much, but we don't have your constitutions. Mm-hmm. Period. Right. The end. No more on that subject in the whole story. Right, right. You know, uh, the uh, one one other aspect of the, the crew on the, the ship is when the doctor introduces himself as the doctor, yeah. they're all, they all think, oh, great, food. We're gonna, you're going to make us some great uh, lunches. Well, it turns out, apparently, at the time, the the ship's doctor was the cook. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, and and used Turlo to no end. Yeah, and that was that was a great little bit, you know, because they're in this crowded, you know, cabin with all these guys and they're playing cards or something, and and the doctor says, "Yes, I'm the doctor," and and they're all delighted. Oh, hey, the doctor, great, wonderful. We've we've been eating, you know horrible stuff for months and the yep. doctor is like oh the, sh- the doctor <laughs> the ship's cook yeah. of course yeah I, right I, I can't imagine they were eating hardtack which if you've ever had yeah. that that is i mean it's a cracker but it, it is yeah. a super dense super hard cracker oh yes yeah. it has awful. to be soaked yeah. it's it's basically made out of wheat and water and the water's all gone <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the reason that the ship's cook was the ship's doctor is because most sailing ships in the, the Great Age of Sail didn't have actual doctors on board. So when medical needs had to be done, especially amputations during battle, who had all the sharp implements, it was yeah. it was the cook. And so, uh, yeah, the cook often took care of most medical needs that that, were, that would have required a doctor. So, yeah. Um, Incidentally, this is one of a couple of times I can think of where the doctor introduces himself and it, where Peter Davison's doctor yeah. mm-hmm. introduces himself and he is gets unexpected results like that, which <laughs> is true. which is fun because he also in Black Orchid, yep, he introduces himself as the doctor and it gets caught up in a. In a um, was it the cricket thing? In the in the cricket thing about their oh so uh, you know do you know I forget exactly how it's introduced but it's like oh you're you're like the master 
the who, <laughs> yeah. you know, the other doctor. And you're thinking the other doctor, you know, the other Time Lord? And it's like, yeah. no, it's just a famous cricket player known as the master <laughs> and yeah. also known as the doctor. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, one of the interesting aspects of the Eternals is that they they can't create things themselves. They need the minds of ephemerals to supply imagination. So mm-hmm. to to create the world around them, and they're very bored. They they seem to be like bored with, you know, eternity. And they remind me a lot of the Q in that Voyager episode, who mm-hmm. have lived so long that mm-hmm. they just want to die. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And it's kind of kind of an interesting parallel here to the Q continuum and the Eternals, um, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, so. The like we mentioned, the the prize that we learn is the is they call it enlightenment, the wisdom to achieve what they desire most. Do we ever find out what Stryker's desire is with the, the enlightenment? I know we nah. find out what Rax is. I mean, she just wants to cause you know, chaos. Cause chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Stryker's so un, un, so boring. I don't think they really even talk about. It. I don't think he even knows what he wants. Out yeah. Of it. <laughs> and then the. Uh, we have this moment of uh, you know where the the heightened moment with the Black Guardian and Turlo, where the Black Guardian is just sick of Turlo's, you know, cowardice and failures, and condemns him to live on this ship, which prompts Turlo to attempt suicide. We have like, mm-hmm. an attempted suicide on on Doctor Who, uh, where he's rescued by the pirates who, um, uh, you know, are swooping by and pick him up along the way. But it's kind of you know. Dramatic. I think that was the end of one of the episodes, right? Where yeah. he leaps overboard. Yep. It was yeah. a cliffhanger. And so he 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 tells the he, he first he privately tells the Black Guardian he's not going to help him, and the Black Guardian then says, "I sentence you to eternal life. You will never get off of this ship for all eternity." Blah 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 blah. And mm. I the, the line I sentence you to eternal life. Okay, good line. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and he he says I I'm going okay really he's 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 on this okay no I, I, admittedly this is okay this is not this is not conscious eternal torment right um, mm-hmm. this might be conscious eternal annoyance but <laughs> not much more than that and also I'm going have you changed Turlo's nature. So that he won't die, because otherwise he'll just grow old and die like anybody else. And the idea of him staying on this ship, these things blow up. Right. Captain Rack has been blowing them up. And when that happens, the crew gets blown up with it. They, they, they're, the Eternals are not saving the human crew. And so they themselves will go off to their own realm, but they're letting the humans die because they're just pit, pitiful ephemerals. So I don't know how long Turlo would live on this ship, <laughs> uh, but he uh, and the, oh, and the doctor's got a TARDIS right there. So you know, well, right. this this seems unmotivated. But then later, when they're on the pirate ship and Turlo finds his way into the ion room that has a window to space, and the the <clears throat> the whatever force field is is down, 
and Turlo thinks he's going to die, he begs the Guardian to come back. And now, instead of I sentence you to eternal life, the Guardian's all, die, Turlo, die. And <laughs> yeah. he's like, wait a minute, which make up your mind here. He's pretty capricious. But uh, it's the issue of the, you know, living, having, spending eternity on that sailing ship that gets Turlo so upset that he, he attempts to go overboard. Because right. he's talking to the doctor, we can leave now, right? We can leave, you know, we can do this. We can get off this ship, right? And doctor's like, calm, yeah, we, we, we can go when it's time, you know, we'll be good. We'll go back to the TARDIS. And he just, that's when he flips out and yeah. jumps over the rail. He, he also, and he's hearing the Black Guardian's voice at that point, which the others aren't. But if I'm the doctor and Turlo is standing up saying, no, no, I'll never serve you again, and then leaps over, <laughs> I'm going to have a few follow-up questions. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the, well, and the doctor doesn't. Well, I mean, so there are some there are some script problems here because mm-hmm. the Black Guardian knows what's going to happen in the sense of Rack's job. He's working with Rack to destroy all the other ships, so he knows that the Rack is going to destroy the ship and Turlo is going to die on it. But also, these ships are all going to go away once the race is over, right? And so mm-hmm. they're not going to have them for all eternity, right? And. I don't know how good of a prediction that was from the Black Guardian, but Turlo just tried, like, you're sentenced to life for, for eternity. So he jumps overboard and presumably, had he not been rescued, would have died. So, uh, you know, what, You mean not the Black Guardian lied to Turlo? <laughs> well, I mean, let's, well, let's be I know clear. We, the Black Guardian is exactly an honest character in this. So. Right. I, 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 can, I can get that the Black Guardian is, is, is winding Turlo up with some of this you're going to stay here forever stuff, but it's, yeah. it's pretty thin gruel. Now, the, the writers do try to misdirect a few times with regard to Turlo by having him seem to betray the doctor multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and the doctor, assuming that Turlo's just having a, you know, he's just trying to trick the, the whatever eternal he's talking to at the moment. Um, and then it being unclear to the, the, the uh, viewer is he? <laughs> and so, mm. but we, and we go, we do this several times throughout it. Yeah. And apparently, he was all. Well, I don't know. It's 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 not really clear if he was really just trying to trick the Eternals. The last time it happens, he and the Doctor have had a private conversation in the Ion Room of the pirate ship, and the Doctor has told has had a line where he said, "Before we get out of here, let's formulate a plan." Right, and we don't hear what the plan was. So then, when I see Turlo betra- apparently betraying the Doctor again, I'm thinking this must be part of the plan. Yep. But they never ex- they never really explain how. So I'm yeah. I'm you know I I there are aspects of this story that I enjoy. I especially I enjoy episode one of the mm-hmm. four. You know we've got the we've got the Edwardian crewmen who are there. Incidentally, they are the doctor gets a newspaper in the in the mm-hmm. room, and apparently, according to Tardis Wikia, the newspaper is from July of nineteen o two right but uh the newspaper has a story about the first British submarine, and the first British submarine was the a e what was it the a e h m s a one right and it actually, uh, well, now, how do I have this? I, it, the date on the newspaper may be September 1901, but the, the, the sub launched July 1902. So there's a little confusion about exactly mm-hmm. 
how what time these guys are from. Right. Right. But it's basically 1901, 1902. And, and we are told explicitly they are Edwardian, which means for Americans, they are during the reign of Edward, King Edward VII, who was the successor of Queen Victoria. Right. Um, so she dies, and then her son, Prince Albert, different guy than her husband, Prince Albert. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> It takes the throne as King Edward, and he reigns until 1910. And by the way, this is King Edward VII is the Prince Albert of the long-running 20th century prank. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? Yes. Well, why don't you let him out? This is <laughs> this is that Prince Albert. It's the piped right. about tobacco Prince Albert. Right. Right. Um. So, so, and then we have oh, Mariner. Oh, but, uh, oh, I'm yeah. sorry, but I was saying they're they're gone basically after the first episode, oh, yeah. and it's like, wow, does this slam into a wall for episodes mm. two and three? There's just yeah. lots of not yeah. much happening, and then it all gets wrapped up very quickly in episode four. So, episodes one and four have forward plot momentum, but episodes two and three just really seem slow. They feel like filler, yeah. This could have been a. This really could have been a two-part story mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. with all that filler. So I was going to say Mariner, who's the first mate, the Eternal, first mate on the uh, the. So is it the Striker, the, the ship, uh, or the, is that the well, captain? It's the Striker's the captain. The ship I think has another name, but I was thinking oh. of it as Striker ship. Yeah. Oh, I remember there was a there was a life preserver with the it's name on like it, like the Serpent or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Shadow. Yeah, something like that. Uh, in any case, Mariner is the first mate aboard Striker ship, and he he has this fascination with Tegan, and mm-hmm. like he follows around like a puppy dog, and is really creepy stalker. All the yeah, time. and it's like you're not like any eternal I've ever like any ephemeral I've ever met. And I'm going really Tegan is so different. <laughs> Maybe he's yeah. just never met an Australian before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was very, and she's like has no time for him she is not even like rejecting him so much as just like dude just go away (laughs) throughout it um and because she's dealing with all these weird things including uh this her room aboard striker's ship that starts to turn into like her bedroom back in brisbane where and the tardis and and her she's got they pulled in props from her bedroom on the tardis as well Oh, okay. so it's, it's and at one point she says it feels like someone's been rummaging through my memories, and that's exactly what's been happening. Right, yep. right. And so yeah, she's, these things like her uh, stewardess outfit is hanging on the coat rack. Oh, you yeah. see the picture of Aunt Vanessa, who is the one that was shrunk by the master in the, her first episode. Yep, that's right. So that's things right. like that. Yeah, and then Mariner at one point sounds like he's expressing his love for Tegan. But he he says I don't know what love is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he he says what he really wants is existence. Yeah, his his he it isn't what he has is not so much love, although it is meant to sound like that. I mean, we're meant mm-hmm. to pick up on that reference. But what he really has is terminal neediness. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. This guy <laughs> is, and Tegan is right to reject him. This guy is. This is not love. This is not. This guy is not going to be an equal partner with you. This guy is a psychic leech. 
Right, mm-hmm. right. It's like that uh, that girl, the overly uh, uh, overly attracted girlfriend meme. <laughs> the, oh yeah, eyes. exactly, exactly. <laughs> so very uh, clingy, very clingy. Yes, he is uh, Klingon. So uh, there's a a party. Rack throws a party on her border ship where she invites the other Eternals and uh, for some reason to get them aboard. I think maybe so she can sneak yeah. these these weapons. So her weapon focuses a beam device of some sort on a jewel that has been implanted on the other ship. Yeah. In, in, this, it's, in, it, it uses the power of darkness, whatever that is, <laughs> um, to, that becomes effectively a destructive beam like a laser. But in order to target it, you have to have it – can, it can apparently – you can't visually target it. It 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 only will target these jewels that she right. has, and so she's got to sneak a jewel onto the ship, whatever ship she wants to blow up, and she's been doing that different ways, right? Yep. And so th- this way is to sneak it into a tiara that uh, Tegan is wearing to the party. She's been dressed yes. up in uh, period clothing, and she's wearing this tiara, and so she hypnotizes her, and then. Um, or stops time or whatever you want to say, and then sneaks the jewel on her. And it's it's interesting. I like the one aspect of that, which is that when the doctor discovers it, he's like, destroy it and smashes it yeah, into yeah, bits. Yeah. And it's like, it no. makes it worse. Yeah, it just makes it worse. It means now the power is focused on all the little bits. You got to clean it all up. Get every little one. Yeah. Which which I thought was a nice turn on the uh, the expected trope of just destroy it and you're done. It was. It was. It was. Uh, that was nice. Yeah. Um, so the meanwhile, um, just thinking, uh, looking through my notes, um, Rack says what her goal is is to be amused, to destroy or create as she wishes, and so she's got mm-hmm. this this uh, I don't know this awful personality. I I just didn't find her. How do I put this nicely? I never found the character. Like I think she's supposed to be this. A voluptuous, attractive pirate queen, mm-hmm. and I just, I just found the character kind of repulsive in a sense. Just like it was, I don't know, too over the top. Like the mm. the laughter was too, I don't, know, uh, I don't know, I don't know. There was something about it that just it didn't work for me. Well, I think it's partly that she's an eternal, yeah, and and they don't really get humans and so she's being an over-the-top human yeah um but also i just took it as kind of this is pantomime right you know right yeah that's true yeah Um, that's kind of how i took it too is like she's the opposite of the the dry boring crew on the edwardian ship she's the overly exuberant overly Yar yo ho ho pirate. Right, right. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that that's probably intentional. That she was supposed to be, you know, sort of repellent in that sense. Not repulsive, but repellent in that sense. Mm-hmm. So we get to this final confrontation. The race is over. The Doctor and Turlo have won the race, uh, and um, we have the White Guardian, the Black Guardian there, and the with uh, the the. I think it's in the. Um, somewhere on board the pirate ship and it was, it was the same room where the party was on the pirate ship okay and the uh the white guardian and the black guardian are kind of in this confrontation and say the white guardian says destroy the light and you destroy yourself dark cannot exist without knowledge of light and the black guardian says no light without dark your powers are waning and it's like this 
is that true? Because <laughs> it's darkness is the absence of light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, this is just poetic <laughs> stuff. Yes. Right. But as you'll hear in what, by the time this is released, should be a recent episode of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, mm-hmm. um, the first 300,000 years after the Big Bang were actually dark because um, oh, the, sure. the, the universe was filled up with a highly dense uh, particle soup uh, of unbound protons and neutrons and electrons and photons interact with electrons. And so be, because the electrons were not yet attached to atoms, they're just in this thick soup, a, a photon could not travel very far in without hitting an electron and interacting with it. And so light would not propagate any appreciable distance, just like it wouldn't in a thick cloud of, you know, soot of uh, Mm -hmm. smoke. And, um, and so it wasn't until 300 years after the Big Bang, 100,000 years after the Big Bang, that the density of the particles became low enough that you could have stable atoms form. And when those atoms formed, it let the light, the photons of light travel freely for the first time light in the universe turned on and that light is now the cosmic microwave background it's mm-hmm. the remnant light from when the first atoms formed so yes you can have darkness without light <laughs> <laughs> very good very yeah this good. is this i mean obviously the, this issue with the white guardian versus the black guardian is the yin, yin and yang you yeah. know the yeah the, the two opposites right right and and we're trying to build this idea that they have to, they they can there can be no final defeat of one and with that leaves the other standing um and and that sort of idea so um which is not the the christian view by the way the judeo christian view mm-hmm. which is that evil will eventually be defe- you know it has been defeated and will eventually be permanently well, and, defeated and, and yeah. just just as darkness is a privation of light according to thomas aquinas evil is a privation of good right mm-hmm. right so, uh, back to the, the story. Somehow the Doctor and Turlo have put Rack and her first mate overboard. I'm not sure how, but they did. Um, well, they're in the room that has a window to space. Yeah. And this room, okay, <laughs> it's got a grill that no one could fall through. Right. right. That's your small they, child. They, they, they keep... They keep making it sound like they're implying that this grill is threatening and you could fall through it, but no one could fall through that. Right. Um, and it has a force field that even when they turn it off, it only creates a slow leak. <laughs> we hear this hissing, but it's a clearly a slow leak and they're talking to each other. There's no explosive decompression, but yeah. <laughs> However, I will. I do like it in that Turlo and the Doctor. I mean, there's two of them. There were two. There was the Captain and her first mate, and the Doctor and Turlo manhandled. We off screen manhandled them and threw them in this into space to their dissolution. At least I don't guess right, they yeah. would die being Eternals. But yeah, nice, nice to see the Doctor, or at least be aware of the Doctor throwing people into space without a spacesuit. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, as you mentioned, Jimmy, in the recap, that they win enlightenment, and Turlo has to, and Turlo wins a, a piece of it, and he's given the the diamond, this giant diamond that mm-hmm. the enlightenment 
represents the Enlightenment or contains it or something along those lines. And he has to choose to either give the Enlightenment or the Doctor to the Black Guardian. Like the Black Guardian has, you know, it's sort of like he's made a deal with the devil and he's got to pay up and it's either give up the Enlightenment or give up the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I keep... So the, the Black Guardian can't just attack the Doctor. I mean, that's so there's apparently a rule that he yeah. can't attack the, mm-hmm. do, attack the Doctor. Um, do we know... I think we probably discussed this before. Why the Black Guardian wants the Doctor dead? Yes, but it's a spoiler. So, oh right, that's Father why. Corey and I can't really yep. say. It, okay, just all right. Just kind of a hint. It does have something to do with the key to time. Yeah. Season. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. That's that's why I don't remember ever uh, having learned that. So that's why uh, now I remember that. So um, and so he throws the diamond at the Black Guardian, which apparently is kryptonite to him, and burns him up. And it's, and so, as you mentioned, the enlightenment that Turlo has won is the ability to make a choice for good. Is that what? <laughs> sort of, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that sounds like the prize is the friends we've made along the way. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. I, I mean, it is enlightenment that he's, it, it is enlightening that he has chosen to be good rather than evil. So I guess there's a little bit of a moral in that, that uh, it is better to choose good than evil. Also, the and and so sometimes on Doctor Who, you know, the producers and scriptwriters have been Buddhists and they've worked Buddhist themes into it, including in the Fifth Doctor's era, like um, Snake Dance, right? You know, on Dharmaloka, uh, which is one of the Buddhist afterlife realms. And um, but this has a Christian subtext worked into it. I forget the writer's name. This episode is is the first time in Doctor Who history that an episode was both written by a woman and directed by a woman. I mean, this right. mm. this story, and what that shows us is women can turn in mediocre pr- production work <laughs> just like men can, because this is pretty mediocre. I mean, it's got nice aspects, but it's no, it's it's not the best story ever either. And right. so it's just kind of it's kind of a it's. It's kind of mediocre, um, but uh, the writer was saying that she was modeling the prize off of the idea of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in oh, in, in Genesis. Right, and sure. is it? Do you really want to eat from that or not? Mm-hmm. And or would you rather have the wisdom not? to eat of the knowledge of, of, of everything. Right. And so there's a, so this time there is a Christian subtext to it. And that subtext is also on display when Turlow throws the enlightenment diamond at the black guardian and he bursts into flame and fades out screaming in agony. And he's clearly Mm -hmm. going to hell. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, he's the serpent in the garden who has been whispering to him. Right. Okay. All right. That I think that's interesting. Yeah, and I I do like the idea that, you know, that enlightenment is is the ability to make the good the choice for good. It's, that's a, right. that's, if you're going to have a message, that's a good message. I, I like that. It's better than some of the Buddhist messages that they've they've given us in the in the past, uh, frankly, from my point of view. Um so uh and that's when we end where the white guardian warns that the black guardian will be back for a third encounter which has not yet happened in, mm-hmm. in Doctor On Who. screen, at least. On screen, yes. Um, and Turlow asks the Doctor to take him home. He wants to, and we're presumably, 
he's he wants to leave and no longer be a companion. And mm-hmm. presumably in what the next fifth doctor story, that doesn't actually happen. Yeah, it doesn't. Um the so kind of a downer ending. Yeah. Despite mm-hmm. I mean, even though they've they they could have made it and I think maybe the writer meant it to be a touching ending, but it is played in a downer way. Yeah. To where it's kind of, it's it's like sad almost mm-hmm. at the end, even though they won. Um but to uh Turlo does say, let's go to my home planet, which is we'll later learn is Tryon. But they're not going to go to Tryon. They're going to go <laughs> to 13th century England. or Yeah, 13th century England. And the master's going to be back. And we're going to get oh, the worst. Yes. I just remembered who's the coming worst on. companion of classic <laughs> Doctor Who ever. I- <laughs> I forgot about. I saw that what the next episode was, and I went, I was, oh, "Okay, yeah, that episode." And I was like, "I just remembered who the companion was that comes on in that episode." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just flipped over to that in the wiki, and I'm like, "Oh, you guys have talked about that one a lot." Yes. Well, it's so it's interesting. The the, the only yeah. companion ever to be killed by the Doctor, <laughs> and have the and it was a mercy cheer. Yeah, it was a mercy for the audience. How, yeah. how how long do we get the chameleon for? Oh, chameleon's in for quite a while, but we never oh. see chameleon because they couldn't get the device to work, and so it's we have like an, a beginning story and an ending story, and not much else with chameleon. The rest <laughs> of the time, chameleon's just back in the TARDIS in a closet or something. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think so, it shows up once in a while, just. They wheel him out, and he just kind of stands there and wheel him back. You know that kind of deal, but uh, yeah, yeah. The I mean, what a run! Like we have the downer of the departure of Nissa, and then we have this one that kind of ends on a mi- on a you know minor key, uh, and then next one we have Chameleon show up. This is not a great run for the twentieth anniversary well, season. And I was going to say, and then and then following that story, we have the five doctors, mm. right? And uh, is that not a great one either? Yeah, it's (laughs) me. Okay, yeah that that's that's sad to to hear. Um, You're you're hitting a problem, and with five doctors of how because it's not just five doctors. You need in addition to the five doctors, you need at least five companions, Mm -hmm. and then you need a villain, and Mm -hmm. then you need other people to be threatened. Right, and you're just you're getting a cast that it's like, how are you going to do service to all of these characters? Um, and and it's it's going to feel thin, and it does. Um, yep. th- that's why I think that um, that in the New Who era, they made absolutely the right decision by not trying to cram every single Doctor into a story that's mm-hmm. an hour long because you right. will not be able to properly service all of these characters. Right. Even in that last, uh, the regeneration episode for the 13th doctor was very brief cameos for each of the surviving. Yeah, and it was doctors. only a handful of them. Yeah. Yeah. Not even all of the surviving doctors. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we the fifth doctor, we fifth, first, second, third, fourth, Susan, the brigadier, Sarah. Well, the, uh, uh, and to be fair, the fourth the fourth isn't really in there. He's just they reused footage from Shada. So we'll oh, talk about okay. this when yeah. we get to it. He but. was he was meant to be in there, and okay. he's barely in there by way of stock footage. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. So uh but that's that's for the future <laughs> at mm-hmm. some point. 
All right. Uh, last thoughts about enlightenment, Father Corey. You know, as I was thinking about it, um, I remember this episode when I watched it as a kid and, you know, younger age and being really kind of confused by it. And just because I, there are things I didn't quite understand as a kid. Now that I watch it again, I, I thought it was okay. I, 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 I'm not as down on it, but as I would have been then, but I think it was an okay episode. There was parts of it that were kind of fun as, as Jimmy mentioned, but yeah, it was, it was an okay episode. Jimmy. Um, I like some of the dialogue in it. The uh, there's, you know, I like the 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 ship, the doc, the the doctor, the ship's cook line. I like. Mm-hmm. I sentence you to eternal life. Um, there's also a bit where one of the where Captain Stryker is reading the doctor's mind and realizes he's a time lord, and he says, "You're a time lord, a lord of time. Are there lords in such a small domain?" right right one of the nice things i liked was that uh at the the uh party on rack's ship the doctor's looking over the buffet and sees a a, a, a array of celery and takes one and replaces the one on his lapel yeah yeah, that was was nice (laughs) and it's a nice prop upgrade because the other one was looking kind of worn and in in neither case is it real celery they, yeah. you know, because that would go bad way too fast and they'd have matching problems in the costuming mm-hmm. if they were using real celery. So the doctor has always had a piece of fake celery and now they upgrade it. <laughs> yep. All right. So I think that should do it for this time. Uh, what did you think of this fifth doctor story called Enlightenment? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Or send an email to DoctorWho at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can watch our recording of The Secrets of Doctor Who in video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media, where you should also subscribe, hit the bell, and leave a comment. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 12th Doctor story, The Magician's Apprentice. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aitken, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, brave heart, Tegan. <laughs>